Rob Morgan is a curious person. What the hell does that even mean anyways? I mean, even this concept of curious has two meanings. Uh, this eagerness on one side to know or learn something, this uh, inquisitiveness, desire to ask questions, to learn more and understand more, this openness. But there's this other side, that second definition of curious. Strange, 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 strange unusual. Strange, 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 that's curious. That's kind of weird. <laughs> Rob Morgan is a strange and unusual person. <laughs> That pretty much sums up the way I've felt about myself the majority of my life growing up. Uh, Yeah, this feeling of not fitting in. Like there's this assumption that there's a normal way to exist in the world, a normal way to be, act, think, feel. But I've never felt like I was that. The hell does that even mean anyways? Normal. I believe that the idea of normal is a made-up construct. <laughs> now, <laughs> I know what you're probably thinking right now. No shit, Sherlock. Uh, we've all heard it before. There's no such thing as normal. Yeah, just embrace yourself. Embrace your weirdness. But if it's so obvious, why has it been the cornerstone of so many issues I've dealt with in my life? And I'm not even talking about just, you know, mental thoughts, insecurities, trying to, like, I just feel like I don't fit in type kind of stuff. I'm, I'm talking about this idea, this concept of normal, that there is a way of existing, that there's in a way, a standard of doing things that seeps into every factor of life sometimes. I mean, take my career, for instance, as a, as a bassist, I am constantly, whether I am walking on stage or walking into a studio, I'm constantly tempted to think that there is a proper way of doing what I'm about to do. There's a proper way to approach an instrument. No matter what you're creating in life, no matter what you're doing in life, if someone has come before you and done something in that realm, yeah, there's this feeling like a set standard. People like us do things like this. But who gets to decide that? Who gets to set the gold standard in a culture? I've been thinking about that a lot lately, and I think that the answer lies somewhere within that uh, last half of that statement of mine. I believe that normal is a made-up construct. I think the answer lies somewhere in this word, construct. What the hell is a construct? Specifically, what are social constructs when it comes to our relationships and how we interact with ourselves and those around us? I started nerding out with this question, diving into it, until I stumbled upon someone from the UK named Abigail Thorne. They have a YouTube channel called Philosophy Tube, where they dive into a ton of philosophical concepts. But specifically, recently, I stumbled on one that dives into the concept of social constructs. So today, instead of just talking to you about this, I thought I would amplify Abigail's voice and share with you their thoughts on social constructs. My name's Abigail. I've just been doing a little bit of body modification work. Welcome to Philosophy Tube. Every now and again when I'm out and about in the world, 
I'll see somebody say something and immediately think, that's got to be an episode of the show. Usually it's somebody very passionately defending a philosophical viewpoint without necessarily realizing the depth of what they are saying. And to me, that's like the bat signal. I grab my tools and I go to work. I want to pop the hood on what they've said and take a look at all the philosophy inside. And today I have found a doozy. There's a British website called Mumsnet. It's a forum for parents. And a while ago, there was a thread that started with, mother is a social construct, discuss. And one lady wrote, carrying and birthing my child was not a social construct. And I saw that and I was like, ah, oh, philosophy tube time, baby. This lady was actually making a metaphysical claim. Metaphysics is the bit of philosophy that broadly looks at existence. So if ethics is, how do I be a good driver? And aesthetics is, how do I make my car look cool? Metaphysics is, what are cars? What are they made of? How do they work? If you were to take a class, you might look at things like causation, free will, space, and time. I once had a metaphysics lecture where the professor argued that time does not exist which was very funny because no joke, he turned up 10 minutes late. <laughs> so when I saw that comment, I wondered two things. Firstly, what is a social construct? And secondly, why do people sometimes have such strong feelings about them? Fasten your seatbelts. Philosophers draw a useful distinction between an object and its properties. This car is silver. It has the property being silver. I could paint it a different color, take that property away, give it a new one, but it would still be the same object. You might well wonder, how many of the properties can we take away before the object is gone? If I give this car new paint, new engine, new brakes, new electricals, is it still the same car? That's the kind of question a metaphysician would think about. For now though, you understand this distinction between an object and its properties. And there's different kinds of properties too. Some we would say are intrinsic. That means you can't really separate the object from the property. It's an intrinsic property of triangles that they have three sides. If you take that away, it's not a triangle anymore. Others we would say are relational. This car has the property being next to me. But if I move, then it doesn't have that property anymore because it depends on my location. If this car was my favorite, we would say that it has the property being my favorite, which is not only relational, but depends on my feelings rather than my location. And now here's the million dollar question. What kind of property are things like being a woman, being a man, being black, white, gay, straight, whatever? Are they intrinsic? Are they relational? Are they something else? What? Do they depend on? They are pretty important. I guarantee that properties like that have shaped your entire life. They've sure as hell shaped mine. So what the heck are they? In offering my theory of social categories, the aim is to reveal the cogs and belts and arrangements of parts in machines that often are oppressive. To start solving this puzzle, 
we can do something that philosophers love. And if you enjoy this, then you should absolutely study metaphysics, because this is like half of it. Imagine another Earth called Earth 2. And on Earth 2, they have all the same ideas we do about sex and race and gender, all those same categories, but they also have an extra one called Schmite. Schmite is very simple. There's two kinds of people on Earth 2, bigs and minis. Bigs is any adult over five feet tall, and minis is anyone under. And let's say that whether you're a big or a mini really affects your life on Earth too. Like if you're a big, you can get a better job, you can get a nicer house, you're allowed to marry whoever you like. If you're a mini, life is hard. Suppose we were to meet the people of Earth too, and we said, Schmite is just a social construct. Being a big or being a mini, those are clearly relational properties. They depend on how other people feel about you. They might say, no, it's not. It's not about feelings. It's objectively observable. Look, I have a tape measure. I can tell whether someone is a big or a mini. Reaching tall things on my shelf is not a social construct. But we might come back and say, okay, yeah, you can measure somebody's height. Nobody's denying that. But what we're driving at is, why do you care? Why have you constructed your social systems around this feature. Maybe you've got a good reason for it, but on Earth One, we don't do that. We have the property being tall, but we don't have the property being a big or being a mini. So you guys must have invented them. And all the Earth Two people will be like, you guys are weird. Meanwhile, the people of Earth Zero are looking at us going, whoa, what's all this stuff about race and sex? I mean, we understand skin color and reproductive organs. Yeah, we're not erasing anybody's biology or anything like that, but you guys divided your whole population and you, you based your whole society around this? <laughs> Why? And maybe we'd say, well, it's, it's evolutionary psychology, you know? On Earth One, some of us can carry children, some of us can't, so we evolve different societal roles and, and we, we make that distinction. Carrying and birthing a child is not a f***ing social construct. And they might go, okay, yeah, but what about Mother's Day cards? I mean, are you seriously telling me that you evolved to buy each other those? Get out of town. There's definitely some aspects of being a mother that you've invented. I mean, there's nature, you've got your natural properties, yeah, but then you guys, you've added a whole bunch of stuff on top of that. You're doing augmented reality shit, like projecting extra properties onto the world. On Earth Zero, we don't have any of that. We've just got the natural properties, no additives. And then suddenly, in come the people from Earth Negative One. And they're like, whoa, hold on there. What's all this stuff about natural properties? The only reason that the people of Earth 2 bother to measure height, the only reason they have a concept of height is because they care about schmite. The act of measuring someone's height isn't a neutral thing that happens before they get assigned big or mini. When you measure something, you're already assuming that there is something there worth measuring. So these supposedly objective natural properties of yours are also social constructs. It's not augmented reality, it's full VR, son. On Earth negative one, we don't have any of that, we're all just... Just vibing. Just vibing. Presumably, life on those other Earths would look a little bit different. If you were walking around Earth too, you'd see signs with like bigs only and stuff, cause social constructs shape our environment. 
Suppose we took a whole city of people here on Earth One and we erased their memories so they didn't know about sex and race. Would they reinvent those categories when they saw their environment? Would they look at public toilets and go, oh, hey, there's two different spaces here. But in our homes, we've only got one. What's up with that? Would they go, oh, hey, we've got darker skin and we all live on the bad side of town where the houses aren't as nice? Why? Our social constructs have shaped our environment, which in turn reinforce our social constructs. I think that was an episode of Star Trek, actually. So we've identified this whole layer of reality, which really affects our lives, but which we seem to be just inventing, at least to some extent. So <laughs> what is going on? If you ask three philosophers how social constructs work, you'll get four theories. So we're going to look at one by a philosopher called Oshta. She's Icelandic, so she only has one name. I chose it not because I have any particular attachment to it, but because I think it's interesting, and it'll give you a flavor for how philosophers tackle these questions. It goes like this. Suppose that you're watching a game of baseball, which, if you've never heard of it, is like cricket, but it's even worse. The guy who throws the ball, the bowler, he throws it towards home wicket where the batsman is and he hits it and the bowler has to throw the ball within a certain zone and if he gets it in the zone and the batsman misses that's called a strike and if you get three strikes then you're out but it has to be in the zone if he throws it up here then it doesn't count and if it's very close to the zone all the spectators go oh my god was that a strike and then the umpire has to decide Oshta says there are natural properties about the trajectory of the ball. She calls them underlying properties or base properties. So she's thinking more augmented reality than full VR. The umpire is trying to keep track of those underlying properties. And in order to do so, he confers the social property being a strike onto the pitch when he says, strike one. So according to Oshta, being a strike is a social construct that serves some purpose in the game by keeping track of the ball's underlying properties. Similarly, on Earth 2, being a big is a social construct that serves a purpose in a social game by keeping track of people's height. Each of us has a lot of features, and only some of them matter socially in a particular context. Examples, I'm 168 centimeters tall and have shoe size 39. I have short hair and I'm wearing black pants. I speak English with an Icelandic accent. I'm extremely nearsighted, have moss green eyes and pale skin, breasts, broad shoulders. Some of these features matter socially in a context. Others do not. What is it for a feature of you or me to matter socially in a context? The answer I give is a feature is socially significant in a context in which people taken to have the feature get conferred onto them a social status. That last bit is important. Baseball's one thing, people are another. Properties like being a woman, being a man, a mother, black, white, that's not a game, that's your life. Consider the property being cool in the context of a high school. If you're cool, you might be able to get away with stuff that other people can't. But at the same time, there could be expectations on you that might be stifling. It's a lot of pressure being cool. 
I imagine. It's pretty clear how you get a strike in baseball. It's less clear how you become cool, because there aren't really any rules. People just start treating you differently and you thereby acquire coolness. Nobody really decides it either. There's no umpire at the school gates going, you're cool. It's just the community decides to confer coolness on you or not, maybe even unconsciously. In baseball, the umpire was trying to keep track of the underlying properties of the ball's trajectory. On Earth 2, they were trying to keep track of the underlying property of height. But what is the underlying property of being cool? Well, there probably isn't just one, right? It's probably like a vague bunch of things, like wearing the right clothes and having the right attitude, liking the right music. It's not really a set list, and you don't have to have all of them. Philosophers actually have a word for this vague bunch. It's called a homeostatic property cluster. It comes from biology. Think about a word like mammals. Mammals have a whole bunch of properties. We have warm blood, we produce milk, we give birth to live offspring. And if an animal has enough of those properties, we say, okay, that's a mammal. But it's not a hard and fast list. The duck-billed platypus lays eggs, but it's definitely a mammal. Who decided that? Is there a platypus umpire? No, sadly. It's the community again, the scientific community. The philosopher Richard Boyd says the whole point of classifying animals is to be able to predict and explain things about them. That's the science game, if you like. And that's why homeostatic property clusters are so useful. Properties in the cluster tend to occur together in nature, either because having one causes you to have the rest, or because there's some underlying mechanism that causes them to occur side by side. So, if you know that an animal has warm blood and it gives birth to live offspring, you can predict X, Y, and Z about it because the properties tend to occur together. When European scientists first encountered the platypus, they were confused. Some people thought they were faking, Others thought they belonged in a category all their own, until they realized they had so many of the other properties in the mammal cluster that if you want to win the science game, you've got to classify them as mammals. On Earth Zero, there are no mammals. They know about warm-blooded animals, yeah, but mammal is a social construct that we use to keep track of certain underlying properties. And on Earth Zero, they play the science game differently so they don't use that social construct. On Earth negative one, they don't even have the underlying properties. They're all just like, bro, have you seen these platypuses? <laughs> these things are adorable. Remember earlier on, I was talking about how the high school community confers the property of coolness on you? Or the scientific community conferred the property of mammal on the platypus? What if communities disagree? What if someone was like, actually, the only important thing for deciding whether an animal is a mammal is whether or not it lays eggs? What if the anime club think that you're really cool but the Quidditch team don't. Are you cool?
or not. Ashta says, there is literally no answer to that. There are underlying properties about you, but the social property of coolness and what exactly is in the cluster we're attempting to track depends on the game we're trying to play, which might not matter so much for being cool, but there could be some other social properties where it might really affect your life if somebody refused to confer them on you. We've been talking today about baseball and platypuses, but obviously what we're really talking about is sex and race and gender and all that good stuff. When I wrote the script, I deliberately went a bit more abstract with it because sometimes when we talk about social constructs, people get really angry. Like, remember earlier on, I talked about social constructs being full VR rather than augmented reality? That was a reference to a philosopher called Judith Butler. They wrote a famous book in the 90s called Gender Trouble in which they argued that sex is a social construct as opposed to a biological natural property. It's a pretty fascinating book. It spawned a lot of interesting philosophy. Maybe we could talk about it in detail another time. But people get so angry about it. Even today, people protest Judith Butler, which is wild. I mean, nobody ever protested Socrates. Everybody loved him. Unfortunately, some of the people who get angry about social constructs aren't really making a philosophical argument so much as they are trying to rationalize a dislike of trans people. Especially in my country, the debate about who does and does not have the property being a woman or being a man isn't really about metaphysics. It's just a kind of proxy way of deciding whether people like me get healthcare and human rights, which is a shame. I mean, I think this philosophy is kind of interesting on its own. I wish we could talk about it without that. I said up top that social constructs are built into our environment. And the way we think about our environment facilitates different kinds of engagement with it. For instance, say you take your car in to have the airbags replaced after they've gone off, and the mechanic says, why did the airbags go off? And you say, well, an onboard sensor measured a deceleration of greater than average braking speed, and that sent an electrical current along a circuit to a heating element triggering a chemical reaction releasing nitrogen gas. The mechanic might say, okay, but why did the airbags go off? And you say, I had 19 pints and crashed into a wall. If you give that first explanation about sensors and nitrogen, well, then I guess we just have to fit another airbag. But if you give the second explanation about drunk driving, well, now we need to talk about your insurance. Depending on how you explain the problem, different solutions present themselves. When we talk about social constructs, the implication is that the constructs aren't fixed. We could change the stuff that we projected onto the world if we wanted to. At the very least, we could ask, why are we projecting this stuff? Whose interests does it serve? There's an inherent possibility of changing society here, which is therefore inherently political, and that can be pretty scary. For instance, consider that the gay rights movement in my country lent hard on the idea of born this way. The idea that homosexuality is innate and therefore can't be right or wrong. We can imagine that on Earth 3, they made a different argument. More like, uh, whether it's innate or not, it's not the government's business. Like a, like a personal freedom line. I'm not saying either approach is better, I'm just saying we can imagine a world in which the meaning of gay is socially constructed differently. But if you say to a gay person, hey, you know homosexuality? That's just a social construct. We might be like, whoa, what are you saying? Because the concept of gay rights 
is built on top of it. So it's worth remembering that we aren't really talking about baseball and platypuses. We're talking about people. And therefore, questions of justice arise in how we should apply this metaphysics. If Ashta is right, and man and woman are socially constructed categories that we apply in order to track some underlying cluster of natural properties, we might then ask, if we're playing the justice game, what should be in that cluster? And separate but related question, what should the law say about it? I deliberately chose non-controversial examples today to help you get a grasp of the metaphysics without getting bogged down in questions of justice or pushing my own views. But it's worth remembering that that is an artificial separation. When you leave the classroom, politics and metaphysics will come at you at the same time. We're not just doing philosophy for the hell of it. We are tinkering with the engine of the world here. So drive safe. I don't wanna feel this good just cause you called last night. I'm not that girl. Hey friends, this is Rob, and before you go, I just want to say a massive thank you for joining me. This idea of the 36 things that took me 36 years to learn. I have no idea where this is going to go. Yeah, I I mean I, I, I guess I picture some of them are gonna be recorded like it is right here. I'm sitting in my studio alone, but some of them are going to be longer. And with friends, I'm going to bring other people to talk about and dive into some of these. If you want to see the list in its entirety, head over to thecuriouspod.com slash the list. And there you'll find links to all the other shows I've done, but specifically all the other points on this list of 36 that I'm going to be diving into over the next few months. If you have thoughts on any of it, on essentially any social media platform, I'm at the Rob Morgan. You can call the podcast hotline and leave a message for me. Uh, that number's on the podcast website, or uh, you can just send me an email, rob at thecuriouspod.com. And yeah, <laughs> I'm as curious as you are to see where this leads, uh, but I'm pretty excited. <laughs>